All right. Let's do something a little different then for right now. Okay. What would you say if somebody said, well, that Bible's awfully big. Where should I start? Where should I start reading at? Where would you start? When someone says that to you, what do you tell them? Any, let's start with the young people. Any ideas what you might say? What were... You start by reading. Hey. <laughs> I thought he was going to say at the beginning, right? Start at the beginning. But as you start working through it, some people have tried to pick it up, read it like a book. And they don't quite fully understand it. So sometimes you got to give them a little bit of help. You got to say, really, that Bible, it's more of like a library of books, right? And you got to do it in a way that's non threatening. And you're not doing it as a way that you're coming across as a know it all, because nobody likes dealing with a know it all. And so, normally, what you might say is something like, you know, I had that same issue too. And then I realized that the Bible was really a library of books. And it's broken up into like two parts. There's this Old Testament and this New Testament, right? And the Old Testament is what? What's the difference primarily between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Now, we know you know the answer, Colton, so I'm not going to let you raise your hand. <laughs> That's a great answer. Exactly. Is it on the floor well? And that is a great answer. And so one has to do before the life of Jesus Christ, and one is after the life of Jesus Christ. Now those things in that Old Testament, they pertain to Christians, but they don't really clearly tell you how to become a Christian. So normally what I do is I direct people into the New Testament. And so... Where I'll start is I'll tell them, I would start in something called the Gospels. Now, why would you start with something called the Gospels? Any idea? Okay, okay. Here's, here's normally what I tell people is I say, when you read the Gospels, it's the life of Jesus Christ. There's four of them written by four different men. Four different points of view, but what happens when you read those Gospels? I'm talking about when you open up that Bible and you read it, all of a sudden you realize how much God loves you. And when you realize how much God loves you, then you start falling in love with God. And, and this is what I tell people. Because this was my own experience. I wasn't somebody that was raised in church, right? The only Bible we had, there was this big black one with the perfect gold on the side and a big picture on it. And uh, when you opened it up, there were some crazy wild pictures. Of, and as a kid, I thought, whoa, what is that stuff? That was about it. That was all, all I knew. The craziest picture was this guy on the ground, and uh, 
a lady had a spike and she was getting ready to put it in through her. And I was like, what is this? What's in here? I mean, this is, this is coming from a 10, 11, 12-year-old, right? And so I never had any of this upbringing about knowing about God or any, anything like that. short I wasn't raised in church and my wife had a Holy Ghost background got me to come and now you're stuck with me okay so that is that's the that's the uh, the cliff note version I want you to know this you are part of the greatest movement that has ever happened in the history of the world this is sweeping the world. Right now, today, there are estimates that there are more, probably more than 300 million classical Pentecostals. Now, these are people that who attend a Pentecostal church that believes in receiving of the Holy Ghost. Right? Worldwide, And the movement is growing in many parts of the world, especially the global south. And if you were to take a, a map and cut it in half, you would see all of South America and most of Africa in, in that. But it doesn't stop there. Because if you consider... The mainstream Protestant church and Catholicism is now accepting or at least possibly allowing people to raise their hands, the Holy Spirit to come on in. And so they're being a little open-minded about it now. And so if you factor their numbers into it, there are perhaps as many as more than 500 million tongue-speaking Holy Ghost-filled individuals throughout this world today. Probably closer to a billion is my guess. So I know sometimes we look around here and we think, boy, there's not very many of us. No, there's a whole bunch of us. There really is. Well, before I go there, I want to say this. At the turn of, not this last century, but the century before, there were a lot of people that scoffed at the Word of God. Because, now there were people that were thinking that the Lord would come from 1899 to 1900. A lot. But the scoffers said, oh come on, how can you believe that Word of God? There's not even a nation of Israel on the earth. Think about it. There wasn't one until almost 50 years later. They said, where's this great revival of the end times? There really wasn't one that was sweeping the world. So they, they scoffed at it. 
But, now the pastor brought this up here the other day. This individual right here, Charles Parham, he associated speaking in tongues with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That says spirit. They don't like us saying ghost because it scares people. So the politically correct way to do it is to say spirit, Holy Spirit. But the old timers, I guess, say Holy Ghost. I don't know. But anyway, praise God. So let's talk a little bit about him. He was an independent holiness evangelist who believed strongly in divine healing, was an important figure to the emergence of, they call it Pentecostalism, as a distant Christian movement. In 1900, he started a school near Topeka, Kansas, which he named Bethel Bible School. There he taught that speaking in tongues was the scriptural evidence for the reception, receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They of the circumcision that were with Peter, they were amazed at the Holy Ghost that fell on the Gentiles, that it fell on us just like at the beginning. The scripture says, for they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. It wasn't because they saw something. They were like, whoa, these Gentiles at Cornelius' house were receiving the Holy Ghost. And the Jews that were with Peter were amazed. This is 10 years after Acts chapter 2. Ten years later, the Holy Ghost poured out on the Gentiles. And how did they know that they'd received the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Okay. There he taught that speaking in tongues was the scriptural evidence of the reception of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. On January 1st, 1901, after a watch night service, the students prayed for and received the baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I can't remember her name. It's Agnes something. She was the first one. And then uh, da, 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 uh, Parham uh, received the same experience sometime later and began preaching it in all of his services. Now, this is kind of interesting, I thought. At about the same time that Parham was spreading his doctrine of initial evidence in the Midwestern United States, news of the Welsh revival of 1904-1905 ignited intense speculation among radical evangelists around the world, and particularly in the U.S., of the coming move of the Spirit, which would renew the entire Christian church. This revival saw thousands of conversions and also exhibited speaking in tongues. Wow. God was really getting ready to do something here all over the world. In 1905, Parham moved to Houston, Texas, where he started a Bible training school. One of his students was William Seymour, a one-eyed black preacher. Seymour traveled to Los Angeles, where his preaching sparked a three-year-long Azusa Street revival. And there is that minister right there. And there is... The, the building where they had that revival for three years. Pretty modest and humble beginnings to something that today, a hundred years later, perhaps maybe a billion people across the world. Peter said, we're not drunk as ye suppose, being is but the third hour of the day. 
but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We are in the last days. Right? Does anybody know who this man is? Philip Jenkins? Let me read his bio. Philip Jenkins is a professor of history at Baylor University in the United States and co-director for Baylor, Baylor's program on historical studies of religion in the Institute for Studies of Religion. He is also the Edwin Earl Sparks Professor of Humanitarian Emeritus at Pennsylvania State University, Penn State. This, this guy knows his stuff on religion. He's written over 30 books on Christianity. Right? But I want to focus in really quick on one of them. He wrote this in 2002 called The Next Christian Dome. He's on the third or fourth version. But he makes a statement in this book. Now this is not a Pentecostal individual. But he makes a statement and it's this. He says the greatest force in the last hundred years was not communism. It wasn't capitalism. He said it was Pentecostalism. Now he's objectively looking at the uh, direction of Christianity and he says in the last hundred years Pentecostalism has been the greatest force upon the earth you stop and think about it a hundred years before maybe there were a thousand people that had the Holy Ghost throughout the world I don't know we find writings of it of some of the uh, Methodist preachers in the late 1800s that talked about how their people and congregation and services were falling out and uh, strange movements and utterings and things like that. The next Christian dome. This was this is an article. This is actually from the Economist. It's 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 definitely not a Christian uh, magazine. And it's Pentecostal churches are not waiting to inherit the earth. <laughs> it goes on. The article is they are taking it over tax free. Right. But that's not the point. The point is, is the world knows what's going on. Pentecostals. Churches are not waiting to inherit the earth. They are just taking it over. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Look at this. This is before the uh, coronavirus shutdown. Okay? 2019. This is a service in Sala, Ethiopia. Okay? Could you imagine being in a service like that? First thing I do when I'm in a crowd like that is I'm thinking, okay, where's my money and where? Where's the exits? Where, you know, I got to make sure no one brings in a gun. Look at that. Okay, that's in Ethiopia. 
Look at this picture. Ethiopia is on the east coast of Africa. This is the west coast of Africa. Nigeria. Look at that. I looked at pictures after pictures. This is not photoshopped. Pictures and pictures of this. Well, some of you might say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's in Africa. That's like if you have a big service in Richland and then over here in, in Kennewick. No, it's a lot further than Richland to Kennewick. It's a lot further than Seattle to the Tri-Cities. So how far is the west coast of where this revival is happening to the east coast of where the revival is happening in Africa? Well, I checked it out. It's 5,949 kilometers. There's probably only one person in here, or maybe two. If you were raised overseas, you could tell us how far a kilometer is. But if you are an American, you have no idea. Yeah, you know what the number one joke is when you go overseas? They say this. They say, how do you know, how do you know that somebody's an American? Because they can only speak one language, right? So, anyway... Brother Mark. And he is correct. Give that man a double gum cigar. Roughly 36. So I had to throw it in there because I had no idea. Kilometers. Brother Mark. Was there anybody else that knew that? No. There we go. Ah, you Googled it. Yeah. So, that's a lot. So how far does that compare to L.A. to New York? 2,700. Revival, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is sweeping over Africa. They cannot keep the Muslim people converted to Islam. That's why they're killing them. Especially in Nigeria. It's huge. Yeah, but that's in Africa. Well, this is in India. The Holy Spirit being poured out in India. Could you imagine being in a service like that? This, this thing is being done all over the world. Look at this. South Korea. You realize South Korea is having a Holy Ghost revival? South Korea. Well, we're part of something incredible. Look at that picture. Could you imagine that? South Korea. Hey, even in Australia, now they're a little westernized. So they don't get up until the music's playing. But, uh, <laughs> but they're still packing them in in that Pentecostal service. Hey, there's a great revival shot of London. Pentecostal church is thriving in London as traditional religion starts sliding. Right? 
You can't talk about revival unless you're talking about Latin America. I think that's a picture of... This one's of Mexico. Look at that. It's like a stadium that they're in. Oh, and then Brother Ali's stomping grounds. Brasil. I can see my cousin there. I know, he's right there. He's the one in the white. Hold on, I got a close up of him. I got a close up. Oh, I thought I did. <laughs> Now, there are dozens of photos like this of Brazil. Not from the same event, but multiple events all over like this of these Pentecostal services. And this, is this blowing your mind? And I hope it is, right? Because here's the thing is this. The Bible tells us that the Lord is going to harvest his people from this earth. And it's going to be a great harvest. And that's going on right now. The world is getting ready. The Lord is getting ready for the great harvest. And I'm so thankful that I'm going to be a part of it. Even in America. What used to be considered taboo in mainstream Christianity, now they're open to it. They're open to the idea of people receiving the Holy Spirit. Once again, the, the economist, Protestant Christianity is booming in China. That's code for Pentecostalism. <laughs> Booming in China. They're, they're having to have underground services. The, the, the government uh, is in control of everything over there. And they, are, they risk their lives to be able to speak freely and to preach freely and to worship freely. But they do. Look at these services. It's just amazing. Iranians are converting to evangel evangelical Christianity in Turkey. Turkey. I thought that might be the seat of the Antichrist. Istanbul. It's a theory out there for the mark. You might want to... Elaborate on that one? <laughs> nope. All right. Well, here's the thing. You can't find a lot of pictures because that's a death sentence to convert away from Islam in a lot of those countries. Muslims turning to Christ, a global phenomenon. It is happening. Why more Muslims are turning to Jesus. Newsweek. And that's not even a Christian, that's not a Christian publication. Right? 
I grew up a fervent evangelist for Islam. Now I'm living out the book of Acts. I read that story. It was a great story. A young man raised. Father was an imam. He was, a, uh, he was the one that would call the city to prayer five times a day. And he had an incredible story. And somebody from his country of Nigeria witnessed to him at the marketplace. And he ended up giving his life to the Lord, becoming a Christian. His father put a death sentence on him. They had to smuggle him to a city eight hours away just to survive. Here's what's going on right now. This I pulled right off of the UPC Global Missions Facebook page. This was on January 15th. Glory be to God as 27 souls were baptized in Jesus' name on the 4th of January. That water don't look very clean. I think it washed away a lot of sins. Maybe that's why it's so dirty. Hey, they don't care. Get me in there. You mean I can... I'm free of this guilt, this shame? It's happening all over. 16 people in the Dominican Republic baptized in Jesus' name at this service. Here we go. This one floored me. New Zealand. I thought New Zealand had just like... Uh, Divers and sheep. I didn't realize that uh, there was there was a uh, revival going on there. What's that? Oh, the hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. What have they got? Ten souls were baptized in Jesus' name in New Zealand. How coronavirus is leading to a religious revival. Here's what's going on is this. On the one hand, people are being shut down and not allowed to gather together like this. And it's forcing people to be alone. And when you're alone, guess what you do? You start thinking and you start talking. You don't talk to a volleyball and put your hand on it. That's, that's all, that's all make-believe, you know, Hollywood stuff. But if you're, really, if you're really stranded on a deserted island all by yourself, you're going to be praying, oh, God, get me out of here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reality. So what's going on is people are left alone, and there's only so many hours you can spend on that phone. Only so many hours you can binge, binge watch a, uh, your favorite program on Netflix before you start thinking there's got to be more to life than this. And people start praying and they start talking to God and they start pulling out that thing called the Bible. They probably don't own one. It's probably on their phone, but they start reading it. And this is what's going on right now. This is from The Telegraph in the UK. Pandemic prompts surge in interest in prayer. Google data shows. People are searching it. How do I pray? 
We are right on the point. I don't know, have you noticed? Oh, by the way, I can't go to my phone. Corey, what was the last number I gave you when you told me about the two people? Do you remember? What is this? Amber Alert, uh, dark-haired, curly, purple shirt, and black silver vest. <laughs> what? <laughs> Turn in right away if you see her. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. People are Googling how to pray. This is, these are scenes in America right now. See the, see the, the uh, chin snuggie down there? People are dying to find something more to life than life itself. Right? Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white, all ready to harvest. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. I didn't open up with a Bible scripture, scripture reading, but I want to close with it. Is there any way for the cliff left? He's here. He's here. Do you have those scriptures, Brother Brian? He was going to shut me off right now, and we were going to turn it over to him. Mark 4, I think starting in verse 3, was what I gave up. You see those? All right. Here's what I want to say is this. Is you hear people, they'll say, you know, I'm saying this as much to me as I'm saying it to you, right? And I never say that. Because the messages that the Lord gives me, I feel like they're not for me, they're for the people. But in this particular case, that's not a high-mindedness, but in this particular case, this message, I felt like, is just as much for me. And the reason why is because of this. And he began to teach. Which verse? Oh, verse 3. Let's start at verse 3. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. This is the parable of the sower of the seed. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God. And he likens the kingdom of God like a man who goes out to sow seed in the field. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away and died. 
And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. I think verse 13. Now he's explaining to them what all this means. They're like, well, can you explain to us what this means, Jesus? He says this, and he said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? <laughs> and the sower soweth the word. So the seed is the word, right? Are you listening? Hello, listen. The sower soweth the word. That's the word of God. It goes forth. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, this is Jesus talking. Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Hold on. You want to redo that? You want to redo that, Jesus? Did you just say that there are some people when they receive the word? That Satan's going to come in and remove it from their heart? Is that what you just... Whoa. Keep going. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Oh man, they love it. I'm ready to dive in. I want to be baptized right now. And have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution, trials in this life, ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Next one. And these are they which are sown among the thorns. Such as hear the word. And the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches. And the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. There's four grounds. One it goes on to and the birds pick it. And it never even comes to being a plant. They never even get this conversion experience. Then we've got another one that it goes in and they receive the word and they're on the front row or maybe they're in the congregation. They get baptized, all of this. But because it's on stony ground, there comes an offense. And Jesus says that the plant is withered away and it's gone. There's only two that are alive. One brings forth fruit. The other one is alive but doesn't bear any fruit. And the reason why it doesn't bear any fruit because the Bible, Jesus says, the cares of this life are the thorns and it chokes it out. And this is where I've had to really take a look. And I think today with the death of Rush Limbaugh and how caught up 
politically. And all of this that was going on in my life. In the meantime, revival is sweeping the world. I do not want to be lost where my fruit is being choked out by the cares of this life. That could be in politics. That could be in education. That could be in your job. That could be in a sport. It could be in anything. I just don't want to miss it. We are so close to the coming of the Lord. I do not want to be this one that's still in the church. But I've allowed the cares of this life to make me to a point where I'm no longer fruitful. You don't want to hear about what he does to the branch that doesn't bring forth fruit or the tree that doesn't bring forth fruit. It's not a pleasant ending. He lets them grow together. And then he lets the angels separate them. I'm talking to me. Let's go to the next one. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Boy, I know this has been a different kind of message, and I hope I'm not coming across offensive to anybody. You come Sunday, and it'll be totally different. <laughs> Amen. You'll be blessed. You'll have a smile on your face. Just like that. Amen. A hundred souls in a hundred days. Sister Corey's got the last two. 72 and 73. Spudnut and Winco. Two before that was Sister Beth. Two from Hobby Lobby. 70 and 71. Colton had a trifecta. Didn't tell me where they were. That's all right. We counted them anyway. 67, 68, and 69. Beth had one before that. Art Fetty. Cooper hit a triple. 63, 64, 65. Teacher, friend, and neighbor. Yeah, you can't get better than that. That's exciting. Amen. Hey, I want to be about my father's business. Amen. You know, I want to be about my father's business. It would be real easy for me to get wrapped up into what the world has to offer. I mean, they try to pull you out. You ought to see all of the trophies and things that this company that I work with sends me. I don't even open them out of the box. My wife's like, how do you don't put those in your office, huh? I don't need them. I just, what, they're going to end up in a garage sale someday anyway, right? That's where they end up. You've got all your valuable stuff. Kids take a few things. Everything else gets put in the garage sale. Well, that's if you got a lot of money. Otherwise, it's a garage sale. It's all vanity, right? Oh, boy, I'm rambling now. I'm sorry I'm running long. Anyway, here's the thing. 
I want you to understand how close we are. I want you to be fired up on this. We are doing so well on this 100 souls for 100 days. Amen. I challenge you to get into it and uh, catch the fever like some of the people in here have done. I get texts from them all the time. All you got to do is send me a text. It doesn't matter if they say yay or nay. I don't care. We just want to invite. And if they respond with, uh, you know what, I don't ever want to go there. That's great. That's planting the seed. <laughs> Amen. All we're, all we're supposed to do is throw that seed out there. That's what we want to do. Amen. So I encourage you to make sure that you are not, amen, part of the people. That their fruit has been choked out by the cares of this life. We've gone too far to allow that to happen. Amen. Is that fair enough to say? All right. Praise God. I'm sorry if I offended some of your finer sensibilities. I wasn't planning on doing that. Amen. I apologize for my uh, lack of not getting this going sooner. I don't put any uh, of those issues upon Brian or Cliff. I take that all upon myself for uh, not uh, being the best iPhone uh, individual here. And so anyway, praise God. With all that, let's invite out for Sunday. We are going to have a fabulous time in a live service. Lord willing, right? Amen. And so if you'll stand, we will dismiss in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's see. Who would like to dismiss in prayer for us tonight? Amen. Anybody? Um, how about Easton, since you pointed at uh, Sam? Oh, no. I'm pointing at Nate. Nate, would you dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Praise God. Shake hands and be friendly. Amen. Oh, man. Oh, we got it going finally. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, we did. Good job.